0: Good morning, again welcome, we're grateful to be together, it's always encouraging to have guests with us, we say a special welcome to you, but we also are always glad to be together as a church body, this is something we look forward to throughout the entire week, and so uh, good to see you, good to be together, and I look forward to learning God's word together as a body of believers. I uh, will be in Psalm 119 and so I invite you to join me there today if you would Psalm 119 Every time we go to God's word gentlemen I believe it is on It is on It says it's on <laughs> It is off and now it's back on Is it plugged in Well Let's just go with it as it is. You good with that? All right. Okay, back to Psalm 119. Every time we go to God's word, we have to ask ourselves a fundamental question. And that question is, do we believe what God has said? Do we believe what God has said? What do you believe about God? I know when we get together in our groups, we are expected to say and believe certain things. But when you're alone with God's word, when you're alone with God, what do you believe about God? Do you believe he's real? Do you believe what he has said? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? If the claims of Jesus are true and he is Who he says he is, then he's not just a nice guy who did a lot of nice things for a lot of different people. He's not simply a controversial man who lived 2,000 years ago. If what Jesus claims is true, he's far more than a moral teacher, he is the creator God of the universe. He made gravity and dirt. He made earthworms and chickens. He made you and he made me. He's the only one who can say what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. God gets to declare what is truth and what is not. And he's the only one who can tell us how to live a good And pleasing life. Too often we think that God is trying to keep us from something good. We wonder if all the commandments are really just there to preserve us from having fun. What we overlook so much is that God is really the only one to know how to have a satisfying, peace filled, joyful life. And He offers that to us freely abundantly so let's look at psalm 119 together to discover what he says this is the word of god to us psalm 119 verse 1 blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the lord blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. At its core, Psalm 119 is a celebration of God and his amazing love to us. It is amazing because it shows us God's kindness in giving us his word, his eternal word. I mean, think about this. This Bible that we have, this heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word itself will not pass away. There's a lot of stuff we won't take with us into eternity, like a lot of stuff. But there is one thing that will be in eternity that we have with us right here today in this room, and it is God's word. It's a marvelous, amazing, profound fact. And it demonstrates again and again God's love to us. Now, as we look at Psalm 119, we see that it has the distinct privilege of being the longest chapter in our Bible. In fact, it's so long that it's longer than 17 books of our New Testament. Uh, But more importantly, this psalm shows us that because of God's deep and abiding love for us, he is not limited in loving us. He guides his faithful ones to a life that is genuinely good and beautiful. What a precious reality for God's people. The goal of the psalm is to help us. God's people to love and to know our God, to value His word so greatly that we work diligently and pray fervently for it to transform our lives and character. As we go to verse 1, we learn to follow God's instruction. See there, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So we follow God's instructions. If we look at just these three verses, if you go to verse 1 and you see there, you've got that phrase, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2, the beginning. The first phrase of verse 2, it's his testimonies. The second phrase of verse 2, we seek him. Finally, in verse 3, we see we walk in his ways. We begin by recognizing this is God's word. It's not disputed. God claims this word as his own. He claims that it is from him. We don't own it. It's a gift to us not to be changed and altered according to what we desire and what we prefer or what is socially acceptable today in our culture. When you read the rest of Psalm 119, you'll find it's all throughout the psalm. This is from God to Humanity. And isn't this such an important and necessary reminder for us today? The Word of God, the Bible, is under assault from all sides. You don't need me to tell you this, you know this. Our culture demeans God's Word. But what is so frustrating is that when it suits their purpose, they take pieces of God's Word to proof text whatever point they have. Or they use it as a sword to try to ram Christians into doing what they prefer. So our culture demeans God's word. It misuses and abuses God's word and constantly questions God's word. It wonders if it's really authentic. Is it authoritative? Our world questions its veracity. Is it actually right and true? And we can tend even to equate our own opinions about life and current events with God's word, elevating them to a place they should not be. But God says here and throughout his word, it's his word. It comes from him and it is his. And the blessed person of verse 1 has full confidence in God's word. Now, this word blessed is here referring to the person who's fortunate, who's happy, who's favored. You might even be looking at a translation that uses the word happy in place of the word blessed. That is a helpful definition if we understand what the Bible means when it talks about what happiness is. We don't really use this word blessed, except in our southern culture, I suppose. Uh, Mostly we learn about it from our Bible. And when the Bible speaks of blessing or being a blessed person, it speaks of favor and lasting happiness. But happiness as God defines it. As God defines it. In God's economy, true happiness and blessing, it comes to those who eagerly embrace obedience to God. It comes to those who reject ungodliness and know God's word thoroughly. Blessed does not mean having happiness from having a lot of stuff, it's not happiness because there's no trouble in life, there's no difficulties, there's no health problems. That's not what it's talking about with happiness. When we think of blessed in American society, we think of those who seem to have everything. They've got the good looks. They've got the money. They've got plenty of paid time off. They have good relationships, ease of life, and plenty of favor with everyone and everything it would seem. But God knows what we too often ignore. That definition of blessed is a mirage. It doesn't bring happiness. The statistics bear it out. It's difficult to research those who, for instance, win large sums of money in the lottery. What happens to them and their family as a result of that? It does not bring them happiness many, many times. So we could say then, according to this psalm, a godly person values and prioritizes God's word in everyday living. The happy or blessed person finds great joy and great pleasure, get this, from knowing the word and the God of the word. The psalmist isn't pointing us just to the immense value of the word, though he certainly is doing that. The psalmist is showing us the wonder of our great God. He takes our eyes from the things of this earth and he directs them straight to the gaze of our great God. Wonderful, amazing, unfathomable God. So the blessed person loves the Word. This isn't just a mere acknowledgement of the existence of God's Word, a perfunctory understanding or a superficial understanding. It isn't owning seven different copies of the Bible. The blessed person is the one who really knows God's Word, it's on their heart. mind, It it comes out of their mouth as they give guidance and counseling. When they're working through relationship challenges, they can't help but for the word to come out. To guide their thoughts, to guide their attitudes, to guide their choices. We see this when they're parenting. Hear the phrases, the principles of scriptures as they seek to bring up their children in the truth of God's word. And this love of the Word comes from God. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. For those who don't know God, the Bible is useless. It's pointless. It's maybe considered a crutch for those who need a little extra help getting along in life and making it through the emotional challenges of life. But it's, it's maybe a book of fables and mythology, something to study. To understand how people understood their culture and times in days gone by. Without God's working in our heart, the Bible is useless. Paul explains it this way. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But now, God has given you who have put your faith in Jesus, he has given you eyes to see. Again, let's hear Paul explain this to us. He says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light to shine in your hearts. So now you understand this because when you go to the Bible and you are experiencing some of the darkest times of your life, you know there is nothing else that can soothe your sorrows like this very word of God. Nothing. Nothing else helps you. The only thing that comes close is you go to a fellow believer's house and they start talking to you about the word and how God is using it to minister in their heart and what it means. It's only explanation and meditation on the word that you find brings any relief, comfort, hope, or help. When you're struggling to know, how do I respond in this situation? What should I do? And, and you look everywhere else and then you think, you know, maybe I should check what the Bible says. You go to the word and you find it guides, it directs, it diffuses. It puts a light on your path, shows you the right way to go. You have experienced this, that the word is life and health and peace to you. And so being happy comes from a close relationship Knowledge of God's Word. And here the phrase walking in the law of the Lord is simply knowing and following God's instruction. The word law is the idea of instruction or teaching. God has given His people His instruction, His teaching, so that we can be led by it. It can guide us and direct us, it can show us what is good and right. And true you know in our culture today to everybody truth is anything and everything it's quite difficult at times to have conversations with people because truth is for them something different from one moment to the next and you get done with one of those conversations and for me at least my head's kind of swirling they're like pilot who says what is truth And so so, so you feel a little bit like uh, this this flip-floppy way of thinking is going on, and, and you go right to the word, and the word is authoritative. It's absolute. And it brings this great refreshment to your soul. There is truth. And God is the only one who can tell us what is true. And what is not, and despite the many attempts of humanity to alter that or to twist it or to shape it into something that we desire, doesn't negate the fact it is truth. We can try to hide from this, we can try to discount the word, but it doesn't change the reality that this Bible comes from God and it is His truth as a gift. For us to be changed by. So, people who've made Jesus Christ their Lord desire to know God. And as they know God, they desire to study His Word more and more. And as they, they study the Word, they're led by the Word. So, many of you have experienced this. And you have watched exactly what the psalmist is talking about here. You become more obedient servants of God. And that's what the word walk points us to it points us to a continual pattern or habit of life. It's this constant flow. And the person who walks carefully in God's truth, treasuring it, and pursuing greater knowledge of it will find their character looks more and more and more like God's character. Now, this isn't the flawed idea that you can become God or a God. That certainly cannot happen. This is instead looking more and more like what you were created to be. As Genesis 1 tells us, every human was created in the image of God, but sin distorts this image of God in humanity. Yet as you grow in following God and his word, you begin to image him, mirror him, reflect him more and more. Watching world knows who your God is simply by looking at you. Isn't that a sobering thought? Fellow believers here, Know your God better as you image him better, as you know his word and submit to it more and more. It's just like some of the dear little children around here, right? You look at the child and you say, I know whose kid that is, right? She looks just like her mommy. Or with the newborn, there's this constant back and forth of who does the baby look like? And the in-laws get upset at the outlaws when the outlaws say that the baby looks more like them than it does the in-laws, right? And so you have this constant back and forth of who does the child really look like? And then, of course, we have the diplomats that come among us and say the child looks like both. And then everybody smiles and is temporarily satisfied. But you as a child of God are more clearly identified as a child of God when you walk in his ways. Oh, we know whose kid that is. He looks just like his dad. She looks just like her dad. So, verse 1 teaches us to follow God's instruction, while verse 2 calls us to pursue God. Pursue God with all your heart. The person God considers to be happy and blessed is the person who pursues God passionately above all else this this is so different from what we're often so familiar with this isn't that that heartless half-hearted laissez-faire attitude we can often take towards our relationship with God this is a person who they can't help but to talk about God it just comes up in their conversations sometimes they get so confused as to whether they're praying or not that they might actually refer to somebody as God forgetting that they're not praying anymore Their heart is just so focused. When they pray, they pray, as Pastor Rick mentioned, the very words of God from his word. So we see here in verse 2, the testimonies of God are the practical principles of God's word. They're also God's testimony, his testifying to the fact of his righteousness and our sinfulness. And heart here refers to your mind, your emotions, and your will. So the psalmist is saying the happy person is the one who seeks God with complete commitment to him in their mind, emotions, and will. These happy people keep God's word, making it their own through consistent obedience to what it says. So just as God said through the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me And find me when you search for me with all your heart. This is the blessed or happy person's way of living. And So many of you have been such a wonderful example of this. It has been truly an encouragement to me as I've heard many of you testify over this past year of how God is at work in your heart through his word. It's not something that anybody can claim credit for. It's God doing exactly what he said he would do, using his word with his spirit to give understanding of the word and to change your heart and your mind and your thinking and the way you live day to day. So many of you have talked about how valuable the word has become to you in a way it hasn't before. So... Uh, At the risk of being stoned later, I'm going to give you a few examples of things that some people have said to me from this very body of believers in regards to the word. One example, someone said, spending time with God and his word has made my days lighter. Not that I don't have the same level or even more responsibilities, but they aren't the same burden to me. I find spending time with God in the morning makes my whole day better. Another person said, reading God's word has shown me just how much I need it. I'm recognizing now that I didn't even really know God very well. Perhaps one of my favorites in light of our passage today, as someone told me recently, I've noticed that when I start my day reading the Bible, I'm just happier. It's kind of weird. I don't really understand it. But I'm happier and I have an easier time controlling my temper. Maybe that's strange, but it's true. When we follow God's instruction, we seek him with all our energy. And from verse 3, we see we walk in God's ways. If you orient or direct your life to knowing God, to passionately pursuing a deep and consistent relationship with him, the natural consequence is walking in God's ways. But doing no wrong, as stated in verse 3, doesn't mean you reach a point of sinlessness on this earth. Now, I I hate to be the one to actually have to tell you this, but I am very sorry if you have been proclaiming that you're a perfect Person and your spouse or a friend has disagreed with you about this. The reality is from the word is that they're right, you're not perfect. And uh, maybe time to read a little bit more of Romans and Psalm 119. Uh, Here, doing no wrong means you more consistently reject what God calls sin and more consistently choose what God calls good holy and righteous living. When you walk in God's ways, you won't want the sin that so easily trips you up. You have recognized this in your own life. As you've gotten serious about your relationship with God, those sins that were treasures to you and precious to you, what happened to them? They weren't such treasures anymore. In fact, you found something strange happen with those. They became burdens. No longer were they pleasant to your soul. They vexed your soul. You were bothered by them. And you suddenly realized, I don't want that sin. God is actually right about what he said. This stuff is poison. And that came as a result of you getting into God's word, knowing what he said and responding to it, walking in his ways. I think one of the ways that Psalm 119 is so encouraging to me is that the psalmist who's not identified admits personal struggle. He, he, he or she does not act as though they have this all down. We see this in verse 5 as well as verse 176. He recognizes the reality that our human hearts tend to stray. The psalmist expresses greater desire to know God's word so that we can follow with obedience to God with an exemplary eagerness, trust, and even dependence on God. It's not like he can do this on his own. So this isn't a legalistic or duty-bound focus on God's word, but rather a deep and continual longing to be in a close and consistent relationship with God. I think this is where we struggle so much, isn't it? We tend to look at God's word and we think, well, I know I'm supposed to listen to this. I know I'm supposed to read it. I'm probably supposed to meditate on this, but (sighs) okay. And so for us, it becomes a duty rather than a delight. I want you to think about your friendships in life, your relationships. You maybe have those relationships where you say, yeah, we need to go to this event because, well, it's our duty. So we're going to do it. And so you go and you grin and you bear it, right? Then you have those other relationships and you can't wait. You can't wait to go to the party on Friday night. You can't wait to go to the get-together on Saturday afternoon. You love spending time with these people. Do you see the attitude difference? When our mindset is that first one of duty, it creates drudgery with the word. When I look at the word and I see it as the psalmist puts it to us right here in Psalm 119, it's, it's like an engagement ring, a beautiful engagement ring that, that you, you want to take some time to look at and you turn it around and around in your hand to see the many different sides, its luster and splendor and the magnitude of that diamond, right? And, and so you're looking at this ring and it's a thing of beauty to behold, When you come to God's word with that perspective, your experience will be totally different. When you come to God's word, as the psalmist really points us to, and that is, go to God's word to understand your amazing God. See, he's pointing us to relationship with God, not a mere knowledge. This isn't like storing up a geography textbook or or a book that, that you just read on some popular cultural topic. It isn't just mere information to be gathered and feel good about. It's meant to change you, to draw you closer to the heart of our eternal Father. Reality is, whether you spend time with God and his word or not, you're being influenced every day just by being alive. If you're breathing, you're being influenced. You, you may say, well, I don't take in a lot of media. Well, the reality is you have other people in your life, right, who are influencing you. If you go to the store, there's influencers there just by the things that you see and overhear. So the reality is everybody is being influenced either to love and follow God or to ignore God and live how you decide. There's really not another option. You've maybe noticed this. It's like a, it's like a gentle slide away. And you think to yourself, how did I come to the point of thinking these kinds of thoughts that I know God would never own? Well, Maybe it's time to be refreshed in the word so that your thoughts are focused on what his thoughts are. And your mind is now being transformed by having it renewed in the word, just as the word tells us will happen to us. I think uh, those of you that work so diligently on your muscular and toned physique, may know the awful truth that if you stop working out, your muscles and body lose strength rather quickly. This is especially true that you lose cardiovascular fitness even more quickly. So you have to stay somewhat consistent with your exercise, your workout routine to keep your body from losing muscle strength. Even a committed, trained athlete will notice significant losses and decline in overall fitness after too long of a break. Same is true for a Christian, but with far greater consequences. The exceedingly deceitful nature of sin causes you to be grossly unaware. It's like this sudden, slow lulling. It's really not that bad. Does God really say that? Are you sure you should be concerned Maybe it's not as as awful as you've always been taught or, or thought and then you go to God's word and you see what God says and you realize it is as bad as God says. How did I get to the point where I was so lulled to sleep by this and so diffused in my thinking about what God actually says? He's very clear on this topic. That's because I've pulled away from time with God and his word. The person who walks in God's way spends concentrated time thinking and consuming God's word. So God's word then becomes a guide, a compass. We don't take it as a mere academic exercise. We don't take it to store up information. It changes us from the inside out, directs us in what decisions we should make each day. It shows us how to live a life that is truly happy and enjoyable, even amidst all of the bumps and horrors that we will certainly face in life. Transforms us from living for self, to living for God, and you grow to love and desire it to the point where you can't fathom going throughout a day without it. You think to yourself, how could I ever go throughout a day without it? That, that is my hope, that is my strength, that is my help in this day. I need the word of God, and, and your frustration will soon grow to be uh, that you don't have quite enough time in the word, and you'll be frustrated that you can't spend more time And you'll try to find other ways to spend time in God's word because you realize as I grow grow deeper in my understanding of the word, my relationship with God deepens. That grows in value and strength and help. And suddenly you say, "I, I can't be without this time in the word. I desperately need it. Sometimes that's just focusing on one phrase. You may take one phrase of scripture and you just chew on that all day long as you're driving to work, as you have different breaks and you find your mind just popping to that phrase and you're looking at what it looks like in your life with your, with your spouse or with your friend and you see what that looks like in the life of living with coworkers and dealing with bosses and supervisors and, and dealing with crazy southern drivers. And that phrase of the word just continues to mull around in your mind and soon it's something cherished. And you know what's happened at that point? You've memorized a a phrase of scripture and didn't even really try. All you did was just let that diamond turn all the way around in your mind to see the great beauty of it. That's the picture the psalmist gives to us in Psalm 119. And so we begin another year of life by the grace of our God. Have you considered what 2022 life in the Word for you will look like? There are many, many good options. We have men's Bible studies to help you, we have women's Bible studies to help you. We teach our children and our youth how to know the word, and we we seek to influence their minds and shape their lives with the word. So there are many opportunities. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said of the Bible, one thing and only one is necessary for Christian life, righteousness, and liberty. That one thing is the most holy word of God, the gospel of Christ. If the soul has the word, it is rich and lacks nothing. Since this word is the word of life, of truth, of light, of peace, of righteousness, of salvation, of joy, of liberty, of wisdom, of power, of grace, of glory, and of every blessing beyond our power to estimate. This is why the prophet in the entire Psalm 119 and in many other places of Scripture with so many sighs yearns after the word of God. And so we heartily give ourselves to the reality, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the instruction of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, who walk in his ways. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we beg you to work in our hearts to love your word as you do, to value it as the prized treasure that you have given it to us to be. We ask you this year to give us greater depth of knowledge of your word and of our relationship with you. Make our hearts to burn with desire to know you. And so we pray you draw us to greater understanding and remembrance and practice of your word. We look to you to do what we cannot We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who's made all of this possible through his sacrifice on the cross. Amen.